lips, but they absolutely are not close at all. They talk the God talk, but their hearts, their actions are not anywhere near me, says the Lord God. And I think as God looks at many of us in the world today that He is disappointed. And I think He sees us as He's described us in this passage in Isaiah. Again, calling it practical atheism. And what is a practical atheist? Someone who believes in God but lives as if He doesn't exist. Someone who believes in God but lives as if He does not exist. Last week I told you about the Gallup poll recently that showed 94% of Americans claiming to believe in God or some universal spirit. 94% of Americans believe in God, but but 94% live as though He doesn't exist. Practical atheism. Last week we talked about the reality of those who claim to believe in God, but they don't fear Him. And today... I want to talk to you about those who claim to believe in God, but they don't want to take it too far. They don't want to go overboard with this religion thing. They don't want to be a fanatic, kind of like your preacher. Friday night, I had to be in Muskogee for a wedding rehearsal at 6 o'clock. It's Friday night. It's fall. It's Trojan night. In my life. All the way down to Muskogee. I'm gritting my teeth. Telling my wife. This is the first time in 15 years. That I have not been at a Trojan football game. And she said. Well I admire your commitment. I said to what? (laughs) I wasn't at that game. I pray with certain players before every game. David's this year. I pray with David. Did last year. This year, his senior year, I pray with David before every game. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how in the world am I going to pray? So I sent a text to to his dad. I said, find him a phone. I'm going to pray with him. And we got to pray before the game. I'll show you, Satan. We got through the rehearsal, and I thought, oh, good, I'm going to get back for half of the game. We get to the dinner, right? We've got to go to the dinner. I mean, you know, right? And we're sitting there at this restaurant and sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. Hour and a half later, they bring our cold food out. I slurp mine down. I look over, and Cindy's got this bowl big enough to feed all of our family full of spaghetti and meatballs. The meatballs are the size of a baseball. And I looked at that bowl and I thought to myself, she will be here till 10 o'clock eating that spaghetti. And I need to get back to Jinx. Because I'm a fanatic about our Trojan football team. I don't want to miss. I hate to miss it. And praise God, I got back with two minutes left in the game. (laughs) My record's intact. We want to believe in God, but still just kind of blend into society. We want to believe in God, which is acceptable in our part of the world, but we we don't want to be a fanatic about it. 
There's people who will drive to Stillwater, Oklahoma. They will go into the most massive football stadium you've ever seen in your entire life. The biggest remodeling job I've ever seen, millions and millions and billions and trillions of dollars to happen with a sideline that's too short, you can break your neck getting thrown into the wall. But nevertheless, it's there. And they will park and they will walk for blocks and blocks and miles and miles and days and days and weeks and weeks to see their mighty cowboys play at home. And they'll sit in the intimate group of 49,000 people and believe when they yell, Kill him! that they heard him yell that. Are we that fanatical about God that we would be so enthused? Would we park and pay to park and walk to church more than 10 feet? <laughs> I've asked our leadership team to begin to park off parking lot. You may have noticed that. Some are parking deeper in the trees. You can pull straight in. I would encourage you to join us in that because we want to make the parking lot available to anybody that God's going to send our way. You may not want to, you may say, well, I want to park right up front. Well, you go right ahead. But if you want to join in and kind of park, we've got the city parking lot over there. We've got the library over there. And if we get enough parking on the, on the library, we'll get our 25 passenger people mover. We'll run, pick you up and bring you up and drop you at the front door. Well, preacher, can you just come by my house and give me? Well, you know, for the right kind of money, sure, we can do it. No, geez. But would we be fanatical? We want to believe in God, but we don't want to be too serious about it. Practical atheism. Let's jump over to the book of Revelation, third chapter. Jesus talking to seven different churches. Six of them, he had at least something good to say about them before he corrected them but there's this one church that he really had nothing good to say about and that's the church i want to focus on this morning that church in laodicea but let me give you a little update on what laodicea looked like laodicea was a very wealthy city 35 years before john wrote these words in revelation laodicea had undergone total devastation from a huge earthquake had leveled the whole city but because of their wealth they were able to rebuild that city into even a more extravagant place they had huge theaters giant stadiums public baths that were the fancy of everyone around they had these huge shopping centers that people would go to i picture it maybe like the strip in las vegas Full of lights, full of color, and just woo! The wow factor. It seems like overnight, boom, it's this big, fantastic development that it's kind of like that new cowboy stadium in Dallas. Now, you want to play football, you go play football in that stadium. Woo! 60 yards long is the, is the screen. 60 yards. You can sit in the nosebleed section and still feel like you're on the field watching. But pay $100 or more and sit up there and watch it on TV. Makes sense to me. After you paid $20 to park and walked half a mile and climbed stairs 
and ate hot dog and a Coke for $39.95. Makes a lot of sense to me. I'd like to take my family for it. That'll be $700, please. People forking it over like crazy. Amen? Just so they can see that stadium. You get the idea. Laodicea had the money. They had the prestige. Let's go into chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen. The faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now let's look at verse 15. What does he say? I know you're, that you are neither. I wish you were either one or the other. Hmm. We claim that we believe. We talk about believing it. But we don't want our actions, our works. We don't want any visible outward sign that we really mean it. It's like a lot of marriages today. Hey, honey, I love you. And the best that that old boy can conjure up to tell you back is, ditto. Boy, that just warms the cockles of your hearts, doesn't it, ladies? When you pour out that word, I love you, with them succulent lips that just flow that right out there. And he's sitting over, and you smell good. Woo, man. And all he can do is, ditto. Well, boy, that's just going to light you up, isn't it, ladies? I'm excited about you, big boy. Yeah. No, you'd like, at least like him to say, yeah, and I love you too. Say the words, men. Say the words. It won't hurt you. It didn't even blow her away. If you grabbed her one day, dipped her back, gave her a big kiss, long, passionate kiss. Kind of like the couple having marital counseling at the counselor. And about halfway through several sessions, the counselor said, I'm telling you, here's what you need to do at least twice a week. And he walked around the desk. He grabbed that gal, held her up, dipped her back, kissed her. I mean, kissed her. Let her back up, set her down, and walked around and sat down in his chair. The counselor did. And he said, you need to do that at least twice a week. He said, well, brother, I don't know how my schedule is going to work, but I'll try to get her by here. <laughs> you know, that's the way we are with God, isn't it? Well, I'll get there on Sunday, Lord, and I'm going to give you that hour and a half. Now, what else you want? Well, how about small group study? How about some Bible study? How about, well, I'm, 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 I'm busy. I I was going to find a way to be at that game Friday night. Somehow, I had to be there. I couldn't be there physically, but I was there. I had, I had guys texting me the score. I wanted to know what was going on. I'm fanatic about it. I'll tell you right now. But I match my fanaticism for the Jinx Trojans with my fanaticism for God. You give me a chance to talk about Him, I will. I go in the midst of where you're not supposed to and tell them anyway. They're going to get you in trouble, preacher. Well, come on. Come on. I haven't gone anywhere for 15 years, so come get me. But you see, these people, they were just kind of there. This church in Laodicea, they were just kind of there. He says, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just there. 
How about you? Are you hot? Are you cold? Are you just here? You're the middle of the road. Let me give you a little bit more history about Laodicea. They were this very wealthy city, but they had a hard time getting water to the city because of the location where they were. So they had it shipped in to the city from two places. One place was a hot springs. And so by the time they got the water gathered up and they began to transport it to Laodicea, by the time it got there, it wasn't hot anymore. It was kind of lukewarm. And then they had another place they bought it from, and it was cold water. But by the time they got it shipped in and got to them, it was lukewarm. Now, how about that? They had, they had lukewarm water. And, and, and you see, they had these huge religious festivals because they wanted to put an outward show of how godly they were. And they would offer two kinds of drinks. That's what you do when you host a party, right? You have cold drinks, you have hot drinks. You can have hot coffee and cold coffee. You can have hot milk or cold milk. I've never seen anybody bust themselves up to get to the counter where a, a glass of milk has been sitting there all day long. You ever, had, you ever grabbed a glass of that? Put it up to your mouth and start drinking? Remember that spewing thing we were talking about? Yeah. Oh, lukewarm milk. I mean, if you were at this party... You either had hot or you had cold, and if you were that's if you were wealthy, and if you were a common person, where most of us live, we would get there, and what would we get? Lukewarm. It wasn't hot, it already gotten cold, and it wasn't cold because it had already gotten warm. You know, the ice had melted and it was really thinned out. How about if your host offers you that one, you know? Ugh. Folks, look what he says in verse 16. Okay, people, you guys in the church, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, what does he say? I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. The Greek word is himeo, means to spew, to vomit, to spit. Himeo. He, because we are neither hot nor nor cold, he says, because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Listen, when I had that catch in that public event, when I, and it's here, right here, I am looking for a way to get rid of it. In a hurry. In a hurry. Why? Because I don't want it in there. I don't want it in there. I can already begin to smell it. Oh. Some of you are getting sick, aren't you? All right, I'll move on. Because I want you to understand. I want you to understand how God sees us when we are just lukewarm. That's how God sees us. I can almost imagine God looking at us and so much of what Christianity looks like today. And He says, I know who I am and I know what I've done. I've, I've sent my son Jesus that you could truly live and 
Yet you think just squeezing me into your schedule every now and then satisfies me? A holy God? That kind of living makes me want to puke. I just honestly believe when God looks at the, at the way many of us do life, He looks at us that way. You say you believe in me, but you live just as if I don't exist. And God says, I can't stomach that. Any of you know what an oxymoron is? It's not what you call your husband or wife. Please don't do that. That's trouble on River City. That's, that's, that's not good. It's when you take a couple of words and they're opposite words, but you put them together and they, they're supposed to make sense. For instance, how about jumbo shrimp? It doesn't make sense, but it's good. <laughs> I had a few of them last night after the wedding. How about this one? Government efficiency. <laughs> Got an even better one. Microsoft works. <laughs> How about these? Lukewarm Christian. Hmm. What is a lukewarm Christian? To be a disciple of Jesus. To be one of, his, one of His, it's to die to ourselves and to live holy unto Him. To be half-hearted about the One who bled and died and rose again so we could know God to claim belief in Him, but to live as if He doesn't exist. Lukewarm Christian. What is that? Makes God want to vomit. What is that? Well, I'm going to give you ten of them. Partly taken from a book by Francis Chan entitled Crazy Love. But here we go. Number one. The first, the first one. Number one. Lukewarm Christians crave acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. They want to fit in. They want people to like them. They want to blend in. They want uh, not to cause any kind of trouble. We don't want to be a religious fanatic because people won't like us anyway. So instead of doing what God wants, we often conform to the image of the world. And that's much more popular, much more acceptable. I mean, when you bring Jesus up, it kind of creates issues. We never talk about religion, politics, or whatever. But religion's always in there, right? Well, why can't we talk about it? Well, too many people don't believe what you believe. Well, they're wrong. So they need to get on the right side. What is a lukewarm Christian like? Number two, they rarely share their faith in Christ and it's really understandable because the bottom line is they really don't believe that Jesus is necessary for salvation. And that's why they're lukewarm. If a person dies, hopefully they will be good enough. And old Joe was a good old boy, so hopefully he's in heaven, not in hell. I love my favorite illustration from uh, Tony Campolo. Uh, he attended a black congregation in Philadelphia. And he said the preacher got up and a good, good high-powered and and the black preacher, and he got up and he says, uh, he says, now Clarence, he was worthless. How do you start a funeral out talking about the man being worthless? He looked down at his wife and his children and said, you know what I'm talking about. And then he preached a little bit and he says, I got one thing to say. So he walks down by the, by the uh, casket and he gets the lid of the casket and he says, Clarence, you're worthless. You know you're worthless. Drunk, womanizer. I'm not sure there's any hope for you anyway. So I'm going to tell you one thing. Goodbye! And he slams the lid shut. Campolo says they had a revival breakout in the church. You know, sometimes we need to be disgustingly honest, don't we? Yeah, we do. 
How pleased is God with us, with you, with me? And we're not going to share our faith. We don't want anybody to think we're nuts and fanatics and overly religious. What's a, a, a lukewarm Christian look like? Number three, they do whatever it takes to alleviate their guilt and it becomes almost an art form. If they feel guilt, they'll do whatever it takes to make them not feel guilty, which might include going to church once a month. But they certainly come in late, sit on the back row, don't give, leave early, never ever engage. It does mean, and it does make them feel a little better about themselves by going to church. And if they sin, they might pray for the forgiveness of sin, but they never really intend to turn from that sin. They just want to pray for it so they kind of relieve the guilt a little bit. Around Christmas time, around Christmas time, they get really generous they'll find out that a kid has a need so they'll give $20 to help that kid at Christmas time now, here, here you go preacher boy get that little kid a gift over would you now why do they do that so they can lift the guilt off of their shoulders you see and they feel good about themselves we I'm telling you we live in a culture like that we go 10 months out of the year to John 3 16 they ask us not to come in November and they ask us not to come in December on the fourth Wednesday night why because it's close to Thanksgiving and close to Christmas, and they are overloaded with volunteers. I want to know where they are in June, in April, in February. <laughs> what does the lukewarm Christian look like? Number four, they think more about life on earth and eternity in heaven because that's what it's all about, right? It's about our things and our look, our house, our car, our yards, our image, our jobs, our bank account, our 401Ks. And if you want to see somebody freak out, you let this economy be the focus in their life. And trust me, it has become the focus in their life. People have lost millions. I loved the editorial cartoon I saw the other day. It had a panhandler sitting there, you know, Actually, he was robbing. He was being robbed. This guy was robbing a guy. And these, these two big fat cat guys walking by on their briefcase, one said banker, and the other one said something that said rank amateur, you know, as they're walking by. It's true. People are so focused on millions and millions. There is no CEO anywhere worth $159 million. None of them. They're worthless. If they're worth that much, then be smart. Who got that money for you? All those underneath you, my friend. Give it to them. Spread it down the line. Can I get an amen? Spread it down the line. I'm glad that you and I have a CEO that spread it down the line. He said, man, I'm going to give you everything I got. Woo, that's the kind of CEO I want to work for. Amen. I don't want the fat cat still driving the car and having the big parties. AIG, I love them. I love them. I want more th because things, things make me happy. Number five, they gauge their morality by comparing it to others. Oh, I, hey, you know, I'm not as bad as that person. You see, we want, we want people to sin, and when we know their sin, then we can compare their sin to our sin. And if their sin looks worse than my sin, whoop. We do that to each other, don't we? Well, we adults do that. You have a preacher or an elder in the church make a, a, a mistake. Woo! Crucify! It's the crowd yelling, Crucify! Give us Barabbas! Crucify! Crucify! 
What did he do wrong? Well, I heard he did. Oh, you don't know for sure. No, I heard he did. Well, crucify, crucify, the crowd said. And so you kill them. You cut them off instead of helping them restore. Now, do they need to repent? Absolutely. Do they need to take a break from ministry? Absolutely. But then the church should be quick to get them the help they need. Can I get an amen? That doesn't happen enough. They gauge their morality by comparing it to others. Number six, the lukewarm Christian wants to be saved from the penalty of sin without changing their ways. <laughs> hey, oh God, forgive me. I, I, don't, I don't ever intend to really change, but, but would you forgive me? And I'll thank you for it. I want enough of you to be okay with you, but not so much that my whole life is affected. I mean, after all, I want enough of you to go to heaven, but I don't want so much of you that it makes me different and weird and unusual. I mean, you know, I... By number seven, a lukewarm Christian only turns to God when there is a bind, when they're in a bind, or they will turn to God because they do not believe in God, but God becomes a tool in the toolbox, and when the economy gets tough, oh God, here I come. When tough things come, we pull out the God tool. But when things are going well, we put the tool in the box. Don't need him anymore. Then all of a sudden tough times come. Look around you this morning. Notice anybody not here? I don't know why they're not here. And you might be asking yourself, I wonder why they're not here. And rather than come and ask me why they're not here, why don't you call them and tell them that you've missed them today? Just call them. That's all I want you to do. I don't want you to preach to them. I don't want you to hit them in the head with a Bible. They might need that, but I don't want you to do that. I just want you to just let them know, hey, I missed you. I missed you. I missed you. Boy, when we're in a bind, when we're in a bind, boy, we come running to God. Number eight, a lukewarm Christian gives whenever it doesn't hinder his standard of living. <laughs> oh, he'll give, but truthfully, the lukewarm Christian doesn't give as much as the non-believer. Studies show that non-Christians are actually more generous than Christians. What a tragic testimony. We ought to be the most generous. I heard two guys, literally, true story, two guys a few weeks ago in a discussion. The three of us were, were, were together, and they were in a discussion about church. They both attend large churches. And it's so interesting to listen to those conversations. And they were talking about how this one ministers and this one over here ministers. And, and then it got down to tithing. And the one person said that uh, he wishes he could tithe, but has started a business, a small business, and most of the profits are tied up in that. And the other guy goes, oh, yeah, man, I know what you're talking about, and about that tithing thing. And he goes, by the way, how much do you give? He said, oh, I give about $600 a month. And the other guy goes, whoa, that's far more than I give. <laughs> And I thought, how tragic that they're sitting there wondering how much you can give and it'll be okay. You can't give enough, folks. You could write. Hey, ever, there's some churches that do this. They will do about a month or two uh, a lead out on it, and then they'll say, bring your check Sunday. And they'll challenge everybody to just write their paycheck over for that week and give it to the church and live on faith the next week. Have you lost your mind, preacher? Are we who we say we are? Uh, 
I'll give if it doesn't hinder my style of living. Number nine, lukewarm Christians are not much different from the rest of the world because they look the same, talk the same, cuss the same, dress the same, educate their kids the same, have the same morals. They are entertained by the same things that non-Christians are entertained by. They get divorced just as much as anyone else. Why? Because they simply are not much different than anyone else. And then the last one, number 10, lukewarm Christians want the benefits of what Christ did without conforming to who He is. And that's really the root of it, isn't it? That's the heart of it. That's the good stuff. And we all want that good stuff, but we don't want to become like Him to get it. Practical atheism, believing in God, but living as if He doesn't exist. Lukewarm and God... Says, I want to throw you up. I am nauseous because you're just lukewarm. Now, could I open up and be transparent to you just a moment? This type of sermon is not fun to preach. I can see it in your faces. It's not very much fun to preach a sermon like this. And I'm talking about this really as a reflection on what God's been doing in my life and what He's been saying to me for the last three years. And it's hard for me to get you to catch what I've been enduring for three years just in a 20, 30 minute message. But I hope that you understand that I'm not trying to beat you up I'm trying to let you know where I am. And I mentioned a few months ago, I hope you'll come on the journey with me. Remember? And that's the journey I'm talking about, is to open yourself up to let God do something in here that He's never done before. Open yourself up and let God do something in here that He's never done before. I looked at my life, and I began to see areas that I was a practicing, practical atheist and the more I tried to justify it the worse it got but when I said enough is enough is enough and when I stood up and said God I'm yours he drove me to my knees and that's when I found that he loves me the most is when I'm on my knees. And when I'm crying out to Him, Oh God, forgive me. I found out that He loves me the most. And it hit me harder than I've been hit in a long time. It was all coming to, <laughs> to a head, so to speak. When I sat among 1,300 teenagers at, in Tennessee, and I hadn't been to a CIY Youth Conference in <laughs> too long, and I sat there and I listened. I don't, I don't know if the messages hit me as much as the music hit me. I began to listen to music. I began to listen to the words of the music. And John played one just a while ago. I will go with you. I will go with you. Anywhere, Lord. I will go with you. <laughs> really? Really? You going to go with it? 
So I began to wrestle with that more and more and more, and God has just beaten me up and taken me down and put me on my knees, and I love every minute of it because it's in my brokenness that I found His greatest love. It's in my despair and my lack of ability that I found Him to be the greatest encourager. And you might feel the same way. You might be a full-time mom and a part-time Christian. You might be a full-time businessman and part-time Christian. You might be a full-time student and a part-time Christian. Because you see, you just you're busy. I got it. Got it. You know, I preach, right? I should have total access, freedom of time to study, to pray. Man, what is the deal, right? I get paid to be here to study the Word of God, right? Then I get distractions. People will call. Invariably, people will call. Or they'll come by. That's the best one. They'll come by unannounced. I'm right in the middle of a study. Now, boy, as soon as I say this, you're going to quit coming by. So don't do that. Don't do that. I'm just trying to tell you. Because what's encouraging now is as I finish the conversation with you, as you've called or come by, what's exciting is our conversation somehow is dovetailing with what I've been studying. Is that not exciting? And rather than look at it as a distraction, I look at it as an opportunity. And I've been so excited because God is sending you to reinforce me that I'm studying the right thing. I'm reading the right thing. I'm looking at the right stuff, and I'm on my knees just enough. That's what I'm excited about. So you keep coming, okay? You keep calling. Because I want God to keep touching me. I want God to keep telling me. I want God to keep reassuring me that I'm walking the walk that He's called me to do. I want you to encourage me. I want you to lift me up. I want you to help me be the pastor to you that I need to be. Because I have. And I feel strongly about this. That when God looks at you and He might think and He might see you as lukewarm, I have to believe that to some extent my lack of spiritual leadership for you is causing you to be where you are. Well, here it is, folks. I'm not going to be that kind of leader anymore. So if you're ready to come on that journey with me, then let's go deep. Let's get off the milk and let's go to the meat. I cannot force you to do it. I'll offer it you want it come get it if you don't want it so be it but it's exciting it's exciting to see God do those things and I'm telling you I had to get to a place where I could be honest and open and confess my sin before God and when I did that God met me at my point of need and I believe God will meet you I believe he will I just believe with all my heart it's hard to be on fire. And the reason it's hard to be on fire is that because when we live in a, a slow economy, even though we're in that slow economy, we're still rich. How many of you drove today in a car to church? Raise your hand. If you drove today in a, in, to, to, to church in a car, if you did that, you are, you are in the top 3% of the richest people in the world. Well, I'm not rich, preacher. You ought to see that car I'm driving. <laughs> Don't miss my point. Don't miss my point. 
People who live normal lives look at us and we're filthy rich. Yet, we still want more, don't we? We still want more in that portfolio. We still want more. Look what he says in verse 17 of chapter 3. He said, you sound rich. I've, I've acquired wealth and I don't, I don't need a thing. Okay, but he says this. He said, you don't realize that you're... And what does he say? Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked, lukewarm. Lukewarm. Can those words go together, lukewarm Christian? I don't know. Sounds like Jesus is talking to wretched people, not spirit-filled people. He calls them wretched. Pitiful, poor, naked, blind. The prodigal son's father said, Hey, praise God, my son was blind, and he's still blind. He said, My son was lost, and he's been found. Are you lukewarm? Are you going to be alive? It may take some cleaning, it may take some self inventory, it may take some time at the foot of the cross. That's why we have it up here every Sunday. Won't you come fall down in front of it and let Him hear about it? Why don't you let God do something in you? Oh, mercy. Verse 20. Verse 20. I know you say you believe in me. You're you're lukewarm. He says this, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He says, I'll come in if what? We open the door. So you see the, you see the process. Yeah, but preacher, I opened that door some time ago. Did you? That's awesome. Is he still eating with you? Well, not as often as he used to. wonder why. Who quit coming to the dinner table? Are we half-hearted about our Christianity? To be anything less is to be untrue to who He is. Let me tell you who I know Him as today. If you get to know Him in the way that I'm talking about, you can't be lukewarm. Who is He? He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. He said, I am the true vine. I'm the door. I'm the gate. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the good shepherd. Who is He? He's the one who was humble enough to come in riding on a donkey. And yet when He returns, He will ride in on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood. And on His robe and on His thigh will be written, The King of kings, the Lord of lords. And out of His mouth will come a sword with which to judge the nations. He's the Lion and He's the Lamb of God. He's the one who was without sin and born in a cave so that no one could ever feel so low for Him. And yet He looked at the religious people and He said, you brood of vipers. You get it? And He looked at the sinners and He said, I love you. He looked at the rich and He said, it's hard for you to get into the kingdom of God because you have so much to depend on. You can't really see a need for Me. He was the one who was beaten and bled and suffered and died and rose again so that we could have life. And when you know Him and when you recognize for that which you've been forgiven, it changes everything. Oh God. Reach out and touch somebody's hand this morning.
Oh, God, reveal yourself to us. God, wreck us. Wreck us. May we see how broken and needy we are so that the good news will truly be the good news. May we deny ourselves and follow Your Son, Jesus, in every way, not half-heartedly, not out of some sort of need when it's convenient, but fully devoted followers of Your Son, Jesus Christ. So many of us, God, want enough of Christ to satisfy You, but not enough to change us. And God, I apologize for whatever or however I've contributed to that as the spiritual leader of this church. Would we taste You? Would we see that You are good? Do You find us half-hearted? Are You ready to spit us out of Your mouth? Would we really, really want to know you.